Hey, welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today we have special guest, Safe with Newfor. Safe, welcome to the show. John, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, buddy. It's, uh, you, from what I understand, you got, you're coming from uh, Hamilton, right? Yes, our office is based in Stony Creek. Yeah, um, why don't we get into about a uh, little bit of description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Sounds good. So, uh, again, my name is Safe. Uh, I'm a uh, primarily a, a contractor and a real estate investor. I focus in Hamilton, and uh, I started off with uh, single-family homes, turning those into duplexes and triplexes, and then the construction really took off in the past six to seven years. Since moving in the office to Hamilton, we've done uh, 150 units in the last three years. Wow, so you're basically primarily a contractor. Yes. That's fantastic. And what made you get into that business versus anything else you could have possibly got into? Well, the quick 30 seconds is uh, I bought a duplex. It needed it. Well, I bought a single family home and then needed a little bit of retrofitting to turn it into a duplex. I hired a general contractor. I didn't like the work and it was super, super delayed. So I thought I could do a better job myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people have that problem when it comes to uh, dealing with contractors yeah. and stuff. Now, you said you deal with the Stony Creek area primarily. Uh, yeah, our office is in Stony Creek. So naturally about 80% of our business is in Hamilton, but we do service all the way from Toronto to Niagara. Toronto to Niagara. Okay, yes. so you got a wide range, but 80% is in Hamilton, which makes absolute sense. So now what type of properties do you mainly focus on or do you just sort of like based on each project, like certain people have niches, some people uh, just do it with whatever. And let's be honest, even when I'm saying a niche, most people with a niche doesn't mean they don't do other things, yeah, but right. they usually just focus on something like you have a primary focus yeah um i think the landscape has changed a lot in the last i would say three years ever since the rate hike and and covid and all that stuff as well uh when covid hit we had a lot of homeowner renovations just for end users that are calling us in to they want changes to their home everyone's working from home and stuff like that but um also the investments were were there was tons of those projects as well today there's maybe less of the homeowners but then there's a lot of investors and there's a lot of commercial. So what we're finding is the, call it maybe entry-level investor that's like one to three properties. There's less of that and there's a lot of the repeat investors. So apartment buildings, uh, multifamilies, co conversions, people that have a few conversions that are going on as well as commercial. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, especially commercial and conversions and all that. Because let's be honest, the commercial landscape has kind of taken a bit of a beating since every yeah. with the interest rates and everything. And all since COVID hit and everyone's working from home, what ends up happening is no one's going to the office. Employers have tried to get people to come back and uh, they're just refusing to. In fact, some people are even quitting over going back to the office. That's so, true. And when you create that landscape and all that, it becomes very, very tough to keep that building, you know, full so people are making adjustments and taking smaller spaces and therefore requiring renovations as you said you're right and i think a lot of uh, even even a lot of businesses that have been in the commercial space have probably been a little bit on the fence over the past two years so sometimes they have budgets that they allocate towards improvements and maybe they haven't quite spent those in the last two years because the landscape was a little bit unknown with all the shutdowns and all that kind of stuff so we're starting to see a lot of that come back up as of the last six months that makes total sense now with that being said what do you think has had bigger impact on you so far the covid shutdown or the rising interest rates the COVID shutdown was absolutely crazy like it was crazy well once the shutdowns happened the residential sector just caught fire yeah and that's what i noticed as a realtor so basically the shutdown increased your business big time yeah being an essential business that was a blessing during COVID. but that's sort of in the past now when we see the interest rates going up um the residential sector is slowing down a little bit, but if you're, you've already created relationships with investors that are repeat investors, or if there's a lot of commercial businesses that are reaching out to you because you just have that name out there, then right now is also a good time for you. So if you kind of shift towards that sector a little bit more, larger projects, yeah. then you'll do well. So basically what I'm hearing you say is really it's the smaller projects that have taken a beating with the interest rates. I would say so, yes. Yeah, which makes total sense, right? Because smaller projects are usually low budget, mm. and that's not a knock. It's just a matter of it's low budget. It usually means restraint finances, and with higher interest, those uh, finances are going to shrink. 
That's so true. that makes sense. Now, I wasn't sure. I'm going to be honest. As a realtor, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And the reason is that sales are slower in the way that because of affordability. So I actually thought there might be more people renovating. But then with the interest rates. But capital is tight now, too. That's it's true. It's super hard to get construction financing. Unless you're a seasoned investor with a track record, it's really hard to get construction financing. So it's like justifying the cost for a lot of people. It's it Cash is tight now. Let's open up that, uh, you know, that section there now. Uh, How has that affected you? Because, I mean, you're really the supplier and less of the uh, doer in the way that, um, like, yeah, you do the work. I mean, you're, you're not exactly doing your own renovation projects where you have to come up with your own finances and stuff. I, and, well, at least from the perspective I'm coming from. Is, and what you're doing is doing projects for other people. So I guess it's really not affecting you that much. So it's affecting me on the personal side as well. So I buy real estate. I'm a real, still a real estate investor and I have quite a few duplexes and triplexes. So when it came time, like I was expecting, um, I bought a bunch of property last year that I was supposed to fix up and that I was supposed to do the refi and the whole burn, everything. And that was when the market was slowly coming down. So I thought I was going to be getting construction financing. I didn't end up getting it. So I ended up putting everything out of pocket. So you take a big hit in terms of how much capital you're putting into these jobs. And you do that plus the down payment, then at the end of the job, you're left with a nice chunk of change that you just put out of pocket. So it did affect me that way on the personal side, on the real estate front. And uh, I find that it's probably doing the exact same thing to a lot of investors too. 100%. Now, with that being said, you're doing the Burr method and all that. Now, I'm sure when you first started this, you were cash flowing. Correct. Question is now with, uh, now I'm assuming some of them are still locked in at the low interest rates, and but you might have some coming up. And how do you think that's going to affect you? Like, do you think you're going to still be cash flowing or do you think you're going to be in a net loss now? I think I'll be cash flowing, but that's the only reason for that is because I've put a lot into the properties. And we generally, when I put them into the property, we don't average them as an average renovation. We usually go a little bit over. So we're getting higher than market returns. I think anything that's a duplex around under if you're lucky it's going to be breaking even anything that's more than like three units plus that's what's going to be cash flowing so what a lot of investors are doing in this market is people are finally not afraid to get rid of some of the property because before there was this misconception that no matter what happens tomorrow your property is worth more than it is today and now people are coming to their senses and realizing that may not be the case because the carrying cost is so high so people are finally starting to get rid of the low performing assets and i was thinking of doing that myself as well for the first time ever yeah which makes sense right like let's be honest it's everyone perceives our oh, real estate's always a growing asset and you hear that you know and you hear the same stupid thing from every uh, normal person it's the biggest investment of your life and yeah. you know what i mean like it's like i don't know i don't know who makes up this crap right yeah <laughs> like i mean it's true i'm not saying it's not true yeah it is most people will not spend a million dollars aside from their home right but where i'm going with this is the fact that it's not straight up and it's not straight down when it comes down. It's usually wave, right? And when it waves, it fluctuates. And you're right. If there's a low-performing asset, if it's not performing at the top, it's definitely going to be a problem at the bottom. Yeah. So it makes sense. If you had a poor-performing employee who showed up 50% of the time, you wouldn't keep them. That's true. So reality is I look at, this is my perspective, and you tell me what you think. I look at uh, real estate investing and housing and tenants the same way as I look at a business. And here's what I mean, is that um, when you have a, a tenant, a lot of them, uh, a lot of investors look at tenants as in, uh, you know, dirty grease or crap they want to get rid of. And, you know, like they're, like they're stuck with them as if they're a burden. Mm. I look at it differently. I look at it and say, you know what? They are my clients. They are, you know, just like if I had a shoe store, a person coming into the store buying shoes, you know, that person. Yeah. Who, who's getting the shoes, what would you do? You would serve them, ask them if there's anything you can help them with. If, you know, would you like to try on a shoe? Would you like to, you know, what size, you know, do you like that model? What, what looks better, right? So why is it different for a tenant? Why do they look like such grease balls? It's just a market perception. It's, it's the whole paintbrush that the media paints about the landlord being, you know, this greedy person and the tenant is a victim. So it's like, it's just kind of like a right. misconception. And maybe. it's a misconception. And unfortunately, you know, that's the way people are presenting. But where I'm going with this, if you 
treat them like they're a client. And if you respect them like you would respect them as your business client, and you know what? They move in and say, hey, you don't like white walls? What color walls would you like? I can do the paint job for you, or I can supply the paint. Make it look like you you know, would want to look like it if it was your home. Treat it like your home. Move in and enjoy it basically make it look like you would want to want it to look like if it was you know if you were buying the home and, and when you, they do that now they make it feel like home they make it comfortable and guess what when it feels home homey and comfortable and they see that you respect them they're going to respect the property because now they feel like they're at home not they're not just some peasant in some square box yeah you know what and and it's also hard to paint everybody with the exact same theory but a lot of tenants are great people. Yes. They definitely, it's, given that they're living in your home and it is a long-term arrangement, you should have it where it's built for long-term success. So if a tenant is good, you want to make sure that you're reciprocating whatever they're doing to your property. You're expecting them to keep it in tip-top shape. Well, if they ask you for something that's a little bit over and above, do it. But vice versa. Absolutely. If somebody's mistreating the property, then you can't come and ask for favors type of thing. It's just give and take. 100%. And this where I was going in this long-winded uh, thing was that the fact that um, just it goes back to what you're saying. If you have a poor, poor performing product, you would dump it. If you have a poor performing employee, you would dump it. If a tenant was nothing but a hassle, they never paid on time, they damaged the property, and they uh, didn't respect it, you have that bad relationship, and they're poor performing, yeah. you would try to eliminate, you know, get rid of them from the property as well. Yeah. So why would an asset such as this property that's poor performing be any different? You're right. Right? And that's, and again, I think too many investors out there get in there with the mindset of an emotional thing. I don't like this, but you're not buying it for you. Yeah. You're buying it for people to rent. The question is, do people, other people like the area? And is this something they would move into? And if that's the case, there's no emotion for you. You're right. right? Absolutely. So, and, and kudos to you for realizing that. Now you're like, you know, again, everybody starts off and I'm not going to say I was, uh, I was a genius from the beginning. I always knew it was unemotional and I never had any emotions when I did something. And I just knew it was about the tenants and getting them in there and then poor performance. You know, I went through the same damn thing. You know what I mean? I'd walk in there like, and, I, and I'm a micromanager, right? I'm the type that guy, somebody's working, I'm looking over the shoulder going, what the hell is this person oh, doing? No. You know what I mean? Like, so it took a long time to get to this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, well, you, unfortunately, you have to take a couple of pitfalls for you to learn. That's just how it is. Absolutely. Now, getting into all this business, what was your biggest challenge? Probably the biggest challenge would be trying to steer away from the herd. There's a lot of stuff that's said online and on Instagram and people are so fixated on like the number of doors and, and things like that, but they're like super, super over leveraged. But on social media, it looks amazing. You know, it's like, look how many doors I have. But it's like at the end of the day, the whole thing may be negative. I had a, I had a friend of mine that was pulling out second mortgages on a property the property was a single family home with one tenant so you can do the math in your head that's negative thousands right there because just on its own from market rents a single family home is just not going to pay the one tenant's not going to be paying those bills so but then he was holding on for dear life because he just wanted to have more property but it makes no financial sense because why would you be paying for somebody to be living there it's just not a good business decision. But we've had that culture. And I think with the shift in the market, with the rates going up and the market finally coming down, people are coming to their senses and, and thinking, okay, tomorrow I may be making less from that property than I could make today. So now people have to make sound business decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. And it's just, it's funny. And this is, I'm going to be honest, this is why I do not like single family homes, right? I can't stand them. I mean, I love it to live in it, mm -hmm. right? So, hey, my advice is you want to live somewhere, buy that single family home if yeah. you can afford it, yeah. right? Like, and that's just a place to live. But as an investment, stay away. And I know now everyone's buzzing with the multifamily. Like, mm -hmm. every, you know, you have to have multifamily. There's much more rents, more doors, like you were saying. Yeah. But, um, and again, there's ups and downs to that too. I mean, there's no right answer for everybody. So I, um, I found the, the, the whole number of doors thing kind of funny. Yeah, it's just I, one criteria. I know. Like you're not going to buy a property, let's say, just because the area is good. You're not going to buy a property uh, 
just because you like, for example, the setup that it's all one bed or two bed. So no one factor is going to make you want to buy a property. So the number of doors is just one thing to consider, but you have a lot more to consider as well. Like, would you be paying a million dollars more for a property just because it's like, okay, it looks like a quality building that's in a good neighborhood? Probably not. So don't over obsess with things just because they're overshared online. And I'm going to be honest. I think they uh, overshare the doors for one reason. 12 doors. I had 12 doors. How many properties do you think that is? Well, people perceive it as 12, but the truth is realistically, it could be four or five, but it may actually be one because it could be one apartment building. You know but what I you mean? You get my point? Yes. Right. So it's not representation. No. And that's what I mean. Sometimes I, hear, I got a hundred doors. Okay. Well, that's a one apartment building. Yeah. But if you say one apartment building, it's not all impressive. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I mean, there's different criteria, like you said. Now going with what I said here, right? There's a lot of challenges and stuff and we got what your challenge is. But there's a moment where, let's be honest, and I think everyone goes through that. When you're starting a new venture, you're starting out doing something different. You're starting to maybe even grow fast or something or not fast, but scale at a bigger you know level than you're normally used to. There's always that fear factor like, uh oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you wonder and you always have that doubt. Now, most people, I mean, <laughs> you're here. So obviously you push past the doubt. But where I'm going with this is that there's that moment where we've climbed that hill and we realize, hey, we made it. And not necessarily made it as in we're complete success and that's it, pack your bags, we're going to Hawaii for drinks. But that doubt isn't controlling you anymore and you kind of know you're in the right space. I call it that aha moment. Mm. Have you had that moment? And sometimes we have more than one in our life. Yeah, I would say so. Any big milestone hit or anything like that, um, I would always feel like, okay, there's something solid right there. Um, uh, less than a month ago, we uh, closed the public tender. So he actually won a job for the city of Hamilton directly. So it's like that for me was a, a huge win. More than the value of the contract was more important to me is that it's just a milestone. It's like now this is super, super real because there's a ton of requirements that are needed for you to get jobs like that and then um last year i bought a couple of properties so and then I, I fixed them all up so it's like once we actually signed the last lease and you get that last deposit it was like you know a weight off your shoulder you feel amazing about yourself because you're like okay this was a turbulent market and you still made it so yeah anytime you push your limits and then you actually uh, pull through then it's a great feeling yeah, absolutely. I love that answer, right? Like, and, and notice that uh, it's not about uh, when I made my first million, and it's all. It's and a lot of times, too many times, people stress out how important the money is. And let's be honest, I'm not gonna say that money is not important, right? I mean, like, you know, anybody says, "Oh, it's not about the money. I don't care about money. It's all about passion." And you yeah. know, what I mean, yeah. Well, no problem. When you have zero dollars in the bank and your uh, next mortgage payment's coming out, yeah. Tell me how much it's not about the money, right? Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying it is like where you should focus on that. But the point is when you do something and you take pride in what you do and you're, it goes beyond just a check. Yes, yes, you need the check to pay your bills or to invest or to whatever. For any form of future, you need some form of a check coming in. You're right. But if you're doing it just for the check, that's a very miserable life. You're right. right? I so agree. Recognizing the milestones that's outside of the money, I think those are the key things. Yeah, and maybe that example that I gave well, might have been a great example because, like I said, it's like I'm less happy with the dollar figure or less concerned, sorry, I should say, about the dollar figure and more concerned with the milestone itself. And yeah. that's more important to me. 100%. Being in the business you're in, yeah, which is also known as skilled trades, there's a major shortage going on right now. Yeah. How are you dealing with that and how is it affecting you? So we're lucky as of anyone that's been in the industry for a longer period of time and guys that have been in the industry for longer than me also have it better. You build relationships and when you build relationships, then you're able to count on guys. You kind of have things on a handshake agreement and, and you have an understanding between each other that is beyond paper that they're able to show up. They're able to do things at a certain cost. You know, the quality is going to be there. You know, you're not going to penny pinch them at the end. That kind of stuff so you have that agreement with some people the longer you're in the trade for the longer you're in this business for the better it gets on top of that we're also starting to bring in um, uh, immigrants from overseas so we have a few that should be coming in at the end of this year and then that's going to be helping us as well so they're going to be part of our in-house team wow okay so you have a creative solution and you're right now anybody watching if you got that there it's the one 
key component he said was the same thing I've been saying on every podcast, that everything you do is about relationships. You should focus any business you have based on the who, not the how or the why. The why is why you're doing something. The how is the technical support or technical part of it. But the reality is you cannot grow if you don't have the right who, which is translation, the right relationships and the right people in your circle. Because most companies out there in that market are struggling. They're struggling to get people to work. They're struggling to get things done. And he just pointed out creative solutions and the key components, which again goes back to the relationship. So remember, focus on your relationships. Everything else will work out. That's really good advice. Yeah, absolutely. And I say that all the time. And you know what? I didn't even coax you into it. You said it on your own. Yeah. So that was so key. Right. I'm super glad you said that. Right. Because there's too many people try, you know, I'm going to uh, I'm doing this because of my passion, as I said. Right. Or or I'm going to do I'm going to go on social media and uh, yeah, I'm going to do 20 videos. Now I'm going to get busy because I did 20 videos on Instagram and then it doesn't happen. And then they're upset and they quit. Yeah. The reality it didn't work for you it wasn't because of the video. A video has nothing to do with it. Video is just building up a name. It's you don't have the right relationships. Wake up and go and find out who has my money, who has, you know, who has what I need to get to the next step. So I'll tell you something. Anyone, um, anyone that I know uh, in my circle around me that's super successful in business, you, you just have to be doing one thing is you have to be giving value to your customer. Why does your customer want to pay you? If you're a realtor, why do you think that a client would be completely set on only using you a realtor. If you deliver value, and value means different things to different clients, someone may be looking for their first home, they're looking for a deal. Someone else may be looking for a certain setup within the home, certain amount of natural light, whatever it is. Someone may be looking for a fixer-upper. Whatever it is, you have to be giving value back to your client. So in my business, clients hire me to get rid of their headaches. They don't want to deal with this stuff. That's why they hire a general contractor. Everybody's bugging them. Million technicalities that they have no time for. Most of these are busy professionals that have a job. The city is bugging them about stuff. Paperwork, the inspector, the MOL sometimes shows up. Engineer has some random requirement that they now pulled out of a, a hat that wasn't in the drawings. City inspector brought up something new. Architect, so on and so forth. There's a lot of headaches. Clients pay us to get rid of their headaches. That is the value we bring. Everybody has a certain value they can bring to their own business. Even if you're a real estate investor, it's the tenant. Is that tenant, what, why is that tenant living there? Do they want a beautiful home in a safe neighborhood? Well, there you go. You give them value by providing that safety, by providing that beautiful home. So go a little bit over on the refurbishment or, or the, the rental of the home, right? You're giving that tenant back value. That's what you're going to get back. Love that value proposition there. That is exactly what it is. I'm going to highlight my own deficiency here now. Now, I know a lot of people don't do that, especially on their own podcasts. But as you heard today, Safe has been a real estate investor. He's in the construction business. Now, when I was saying earlier about the who, technically, as a realtor, he should be in my circle of who. And what happened? I failed to make myself known with him. And I failed to showcase value because he bought with other people. So he's not on the podcast because he's a customer, let it be clear. And he's not on the podcast because I'm coaxing him to be one. But, he, but I think he has value. So the point is I showcased my own failure as a realtor by not finding him first and making him part of my circle. So right there, that's value. And I didn't get myself known. So Get yourself known, build a relationship. Those two things I filled in this particular circumstance, but I, you know, it doesn't matter that you didn't get it right first, you can fix it. Going back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you don't see that every day where a person. No. No, it's the first. But it's the truth, Yeah. right? Like, and I'm all about the honesty, right? And it's all about the honesty. Yeah. Like, and don't get me wrong, I think of abundance. I think in mindset, there's lots of people out there. There's lots of opportunities out there if you're looking for it. Right. I don't believe in the scarcity thing like there's so limited amounts and oh my God, that person stole my business. You know, I don't think that way. Plenty of business. It's it's your the way I look at it, and, and it applies to construction as well, is that there's plenty of business out there. It's not for you to win, it's for you to lose. Because if somebody else got the contract, it's because you didn't do your job properly. You didn't put yourself out there, you didn't showcase value. If you had showcase value, that person wouldn't have got it. Yeah, you're right. And again, Value is different for each person. For everybody, it's not necessarily about price. You'll be surprised to know many people are willing to pay a premium 
if you're giving that value back, if you're taking headaches away. You yeah. could be more expensive than someone. You don't necessarily go eat at the cheapest restaurant every time, right? I go to a restaurant sometimes and I want to pay more because I want that service. I want that quality. So you're paying more. It applies to every business as well. Right. Look, every business is having employee problems right now where they're not getting enough people to show up and blah, 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 blah. Now, we've anybody's gone to a restaurant, especially a fast food restaurant, if you've gone to fast food or even fine dining, you notice the difference between the service before COVID and the service today. Yeah. So now nobody goes to a Wendy's, I'm going to use that, waits 40 minutes to get their meal and say, well, you know, it was 40 minutes, but hey, it was only $7.99. Could have been worse. I could have gone and paid $100 down on the restaurant down the street that was fine dining that would have got me the food in 10 minutes yeah nobody says that but i was 7.99 it's the best for the price nobody does that yeah it usually starts off with what the hell has taken so long yeah nobody cares that they paid 7.99 that's true <laughs> that's true absolutely so you got that you got right on the mark with that so now with that being said you're going to um Going forward, going forward, what is your future look like? Like you just got the contract with the city of Hamilton, yeah, which is phenomenal, right? So that's going to provide many, many opportunities. So what other things do you have maybe on the investment side? On the investment side, what I'm planning on doing, and I think there's from speaking to um, a few investors as well, I think a lot of people are planning on going down that route is financing is or lending is becoming super, super tough on the residential side duplexes and triplexes and, and stuff like that. So um, I, I kind of find like those are the building blocks for a real estate portfolio when you're starting from zero. How are you going to go buy an apartment building and, you know, needing hundreds of thousands of dollars down? Probably not. So those are good building blocks. But after some point, you want to be able to consolidate things and potentially go into something bigger because the lending is a lot more consistent on those um, on those types of projects and those assets. So commercial the building is valued more or less um, based on the income that it produces. That's it. So if your neighbor sells for, let's say you had a house, your neighbor sells for 50,000 less, your house is not worth 50,000 less potentially, right? Yeah. So the, the commercial stuff is much more predictable in that sense because you know what it's worth based on the rents. So I think that transitioning towards that is going to be the next step for me. Makes sense. I love that. Yeah. Now, do you primarily invest in Ontario? Have you gone outside of Ontario? Uh, I've, I've invested in Texas as well. That's interesting. Yeah. What made you do that? I had a friend and he was working a full-time job. I used to work with him uh, many, many years ago up north in the mining and metals, doing the whole fly-in, fly-out type of stuff. And he told me he invests in real estate and he makes a lot of money. So I told, I told him, well, what do you do? He's like, oh, I do these flips in Ohio. I do these flips in Texas. And uh, I'm like, how many? I think he told me about 30. Wow. I'm like, 30? And we used to work 70 hours a week, seven days a week, 10 hours a day for three weeks. And then you take a week off. So he was doing that in that time. I said, this is crazy. So then I told him, can you put me in touch with your contacts in Texas? So I flew down to Texas, met the property manager, contractor, wholesaler. I liked them all. And they've already been proven, right? Because the guys used them uh, many, many times before. And then I did a, f a flip over there using those guys. So I thought it would be a lot more lucrative because um, I thought I'd be able to get lending. Turns out Texas is an extremely difficult state to get lending in for Canadians especially. So you have to do everything in cash, which is not ideal. There's alternative options out there, but again, yeah, when you're on, you're on the uh, cusp of finding something, trying to figure out the alternative and you have a short period of time, not easy. You kind of got to know it before you get there. You're right. And the, the lending in Texas, everything is possible, but in Texas specifically, um, as a Canadian, if you're going there and the lenders, you know, the lenders, they really favor locals over there. Of course. And as an outside investor, they don't really have a handle on your assets. So if they don't have a handle on your assets, everything is coming at a big premium. And the numbers just simply don't work out for you to borrow private for six months for just a single family home flip. It just, yeah. it, it takes, it, it eats up all the meat that's left on the bone. It's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. Margins are important too. And that's why it goes back to what we were saying earlier. You got to know your numbers. This is not an emotional game. This is a numbers game. But that was an interesting uh, that was an interesting story because you deal with things that are completely different than here. I thought I'm like, okay, I've done 150 units here. It's going to be a walk in the park. I'm not even going to have to maybe I'll pick up two phone calls. I'm like, this is way too easy. And then one day I get a call, it's like, "Oh, there's termites." I'm like, what is that? We don't have termites here. So learn Yes, that. we do. Really? Yeah. Where are they? 
Uh, one's at Dixie Mall. <laughs> houses over around there. Yeah. I didn't know this. Not in the mall itself, but on the homes around there. Really? There's some termites there. And in, um, it's not downtown. It's not Cabbage Town. What's it called? Oh, crap. It's where the, remember where the old uh, Don Valley used to end and you go down? Okay. There's that, uh, the, the part at the end of the Don Valley that's now chopped off. Okay. In that area, I forgot the name of the. Uh, the termites? Sec- yeah, they have. No, no, I forgot the name of this. Not the city. I was going to say the little neighborhood. Yeah, but I mean, but, there's but termites there. There's termites there. Oh, they're big time. Houses have collided because of. Uh, really? Or crumbled, I mean. Okay, yeah. Let me correct myself then. It's less common. Less common. Yes. Over there, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's normal. So I had to deal with that. And then that was something that was super unique. I had a guy, I think he was homeless. He parked his uh, car right next to the home, mm-hmm. which was technically a vacant lot, private, but nobody know, knew who owned that, uh, that lot. He parked his car there and he started living in his car, all his clothes and stuff with it. And then he got a porter potty there and used to use it. So when I came to sell the home after the, after the flip, no one wanted to buy it. <laughs> So I was like, got to get rid of this guy. So I had to call someone, tried calling in the sheriff and all that stuff to get rid of the guy. So it's weird problems. Something like that added two months to the timeline. So, (laughs) you know, but who could have predicted? Because I don't know the area. Yeah, definitely. And that's the other thing, right? (laughs) That's why when you're investing somewhere that you don't know, you definitely have to have people there you do know and trust to work with because there's so many things that could come up. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I still got it done, so it was okay, but uh, it was it was definitely tough. I can imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, everything is a learning curve, right? Yeah. If the first one is a slam dunk, then everybody would be in that industry. Everyone would be doing it. 100%. Man, it was fun. I can <laughs> ma- well, there, that's the, that's the other point, right? Yeah. It's about enjoying the process. Too many people want to get to the end zone. And let's be honest, what's our end zone? Death. Yeah. Why do you want to be at the end? That's true. Right? Like, got to enjoy the process. It's all about the journey. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you have to have fun with it. Obviously, it's easier said than done because sometimes it's super, super stressful. Nobody likes getting that uh, th- that letter mailed where you're opening up. You're like, hey, another rate hike. Fantastic. I'm losing another 150 a month. And then three months later, another 150, so on and so forth. Nobody likes getting that. But you have to you have to enjoy it along the way because you got to tell yourself you are in the opportunity where you own an asset. Had you not owned an asset, you wouldn't have that problem. But that's not a better scenario, is it? No, exactly. There you go. Now here, here which brings up exact point here. I'm going to give you a riddle. Got one guy making $100,000 a year. Another guy making a million dollars a year. And there's a third guy making $10 million a year. Who has more problems? $10 million. No, they all have the same problems. Just the size of the problem changes. Fair. Right? Everyone thinks that once you got $10 million, all your problems go away. No, no. When you have $10 million, you have more options. But the problems are still there. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if anything, I, I was saying the, the $10 million have, have obviously more problems. But you're right. The $10 million has a lot more resources. So he has more people to deal with a lot of those problems. So, yes, you're right. Yeah. But everybody has problems. Exactly. If you're making, if you're at minimum wage, it's still a problem if you're not able to make rent. Yeah. Right? If your mortgages are going up and you have uh, 10 mortgages, that's also a problem. You know what I mean? 100%. Right, so I had a little video clip I did a few weeks ago, and it was a little bit of a shit disturber kind of video, but it was the truth, right? And 2023, if you're making $100,000 a year, you are broke. That right? is the sad reality. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw the average you had to make $280,000 a year of a family income to be able to afford a home in Toronto. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Absolutely. But it's madness, right? Yes. You know, when my parents came here, it wasn't the case. I don't even think they made $30,000 a year. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Like, today's reality is really crazy. Yeah. Well, every we all know the, the issues we have with housing and, and the fact that there's obviously no supply and, and all. And I shouldn't say no supply, but low supply. And then with the mass, mass, mass immigration, this is naturally going to happen. Which brings us back to the original investment point, creating value is all about splitting up that single family home, for example, into something that's more generational living, yeah. where you can have the parents, the grandparents, and the kids living at the same address, but all separate units. Now you have, what on average, Let's call it four incomes contributing towards a property, Absolutely. but it's kind of split up. So is that really a bad, is it, is it really a bad arrangement? Not really, it's something that you're weathering the crisis that's out there, so that's an option. You know, so if you're going towards that and builders for the first time now 
are there's talks uh, uh, with banks and with lending about lending uh, for purpose-built, new-build, generational housing. So I, don't, I haven't seen anyone that's building it yet, but there's talks amongst A-lenders about giving builders uh, loans for generational living homes. So think about that. You go to Madame Homes and you buy for you know, a home that's really a triplex for three generations. You got one door, another door, another door. Grandparents and then so on yeah, and so forth. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's amazing. You know, How many incomes is that? You have the grandparents coming in with this much savings, and then you have the parents with a nice income, and then the kids who are also contributing to it. It's just gravy on top. That's going to help make things a lot more affordable. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So that's fascinating and creative, right? Like, again, you can look at the situation and say it's doom and gloom, or you can say, look at the opportunity. The situation doesn't change. The outcome is the same. The fundamentals are the same. The only thing that changes is how you look at it and whether or not you take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So going into construction, right? Now, with all these things happening and, and you're dividing and stuff, right? You, you got into the Burr method and all that. Now, obviously, in my opinion, the Burr method on, on this stuff is not as effective as it was, we'll say, two years ago. Um, now we're going, we already established that multifamily is the way to go to, and obviously most people are not going to be able to start off in that. Now, what if somebody just wants to do an upgrade in their home to up the value just by forced depreciation? What areas should they concentrate on? Um, I would say they have to be very careful how they're driving the value up because the best thing is obviously to create more income. So more suites. So if you have another unit, a basement unit, that's the first step. If you have a third unit that you can fit in the same home, great. If you don't, then if you have a big enough lot, you can build something in the back. If you have an abandoned garage that you don't really use or just a detached garage in general, you can turn that into a home. But the more income you're driving into the property, the more you're going to drive the property value up a lot, especially in the times like today where you have high interest rates and then the cost of servicing the debt's really expensive. So you really have to be focusing on the income coming in rather than, oh, look, I, I got the most expensive stone countertop, so my appraisal should come in higher. Obviously, that works for select type of investments. Like if you're building a custom home, that's a completely separate story. But I'm talking for something that is an average residential that you're just trying to drive the value up even more and then you're trying to make the monthly payments more manageable. I think that's the better way forward. The more units you're adding, the more you're going to drive up the value of that property. So you have to be careful what units you put in and what you don't. And generally speaking, when you're keeping the bones as much as possible, that is a less expensive renovation. So if you have a basement that already has a walkout basement, like a walkout entrance, yeah, sorry, yeah. then that's a lot better than you have to cut uh, than you having to uh, cut a new one open because that costs twenty five grand. So that's one big ticket item that you could get rid of. But if your home already has a walkout basement, maybe a bathroom already, then what? You just got to add a kitchen and do all the uh, uh, soundproofing and fireproofing, inc- interconnected smoke alarms, and all that. It's not that big of an an item, so that's going to drive up the value big time. Absolutely. Now. Being in construction, I'm certain you have a lot of permit problems. Now, government has talked about making things easier and removing red tape. I'm not in construction. I don't know if you've seen any of the differences yet. From what I hear, there's no difference. Uh, In terms of the actual building permit process and the inspections after the building permit is issued, I wouldn't say there's a massive difference, no, because they still have a responsibility to ensure uh, safety and and sort of... um, enforcement of the building codes so there's no leniency there no of course not they do have a bit of leniency on maybe is the type of properties that you're allowed to develop so they will now reduce the building code requirements with part of bill 23 where you can add up to four units in your home without any rezoning or anything like that as long as you abide by building code requirements so enforcement and then there's What's applicable from a zoning standpoint? So that they've relaxed because before you might have to go in an area and say, oh, I got to get this place rezoned for me to add a basement and all that stuff. Now you could do it anywhere as long as you are um, uh, enforcing the the Ontario building code. But that's the building department's job. Right, exactly. And they have to enforce it no matter what. So if they go and measure and then uh, it says six foot one under the bulkheads and there's six foot and three quarters of an inch, they're going to say fail. 
doesn't matter. I mean, it depends on the inspector, but yeah. But a lot of them could say fail. Right. So they're not lenient that way. No, I'm not lenient. Like, they were changing red tape. I mean, for example, how long does it take to get a permit? Once upon a time, I believe it could take as much as six to eight months. It might be a little bit faster, yes. But uh, the problem is, I think... I think this is a general problem with COVID yeah. and staff and employees in general and people being remote. Businesses, and I'm, I'm, I'm counting a city almost as a business, they have less control over the staff. You know, when someone is, is not working there or they're doing this hybrid stuff where they're partially in the office and partially at home. So it's very dependent on the plans examiner that you get. And that's kind of a problem because it's hit or miss. I did, we did, I think, four, five five uh building permit applications in the last few months uh call it these ones were all started about six to eight months ago some of them were approved in two months one of them took six months so it's like it's a big variation and all of them were the same complexity and they weren't that complicated it's pretty straightforward so the point is you get one plans examiner where they're really checking absolutely every little thing down to the fraction of an inch and bringing up problems that may not necessarily be problems, it's going to take longer. Makes sense. Makes sense. So now, even um, one thing that I find funny, and there's going to be an HGTV story because I haven't seen it happen to me, but um, you see on TV where somebody uh, does a renovation, they start one renovation, and what ends up happening is once they start something, they discover certain things are not to code. It might have been to code at the time that the home was built, but it's not to code as of today. Yeah. So now let's break the myth here, whether it's a myth or not. If you do some sort of reno and like to say, we'll say the basement, you do the basement and it's not to code at, at today's standards, but it was to code in 1980, just say when it was built. Mm -hmm. Now, once you start reno, do you have to bring it all up to code for today or can the stuff that you don't touch that remain not code? Uh, if I had to give just one answer, yes or no, that I would say no. Here's why. Um, the general premises of a renovation for, from a building code standpoint is you meet or you exceed or you exceed, right? So a very simple example, you build a new home and you have to put insulation on the exterior walls. Building code requirement, R22. And for the, for the listeners that maybe um, are not as involved with construction, R22 fits in a six inch, uh, in a six inch void. You're not going to find the home where you're doing a rental to on the exterior perimeter walls that has two by six, unless it's a new built home. Typically they'll have two by four or maybe even less. They're not gonna make you take all that out, put two by six and enforce the R22. The standard is meet or exceed. Right. So just fill that, make it R14. You know what I mean? Got it. So um, there's some things that people say are code that are not really code. So let's say you open up a wall and you have a beam that's failing, like it's failing. People say, oh, well, it wasn't designed to code. It wasn't big enough back. Yes, that may be true. But the point is today it's failing and it's, it's serving a pretty big safety issue. So that definitely has to get replaced, you know, because it's structural. Anything to do with life, fire, safety, all that stuff must be addressed. But as a general, you know, it's like, oh, this, you know, two by eight should have been today a two by 10. If there's nothing wrong with it, you don't have to exceed, no. Got it. That was very well said, right? Like that really got the nitty gritty. I think anybody listening could understand. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Absolutely love that. Awesome. So yeah, and you can definitely see that you're very knowledgeable here. Yeah. Right? It's not, you're, there's no winging it. <laughs> no. We better be 150 yeah. minutes. Uh, if I didn't know, we'd be in a big problem today. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, I, I personally find it overwhelming to remember all this, right? But I guess if you're doing it every day, you're seeing it every day. Absolutely. Look, I could look at someone else's business and say for yours, you know what? If I was looking at these contracts to have to catch every single word, I could find it overwhelming. But if you're doing it every single day, you're almost not even need it, reading 90% of the document because you already know what it says. You know it by heart. You can almost recite it. Yeah. So for you, it's not overwhelming. For me, it might be. Got it. So when we do it day in, day out, yeah, you know, first project, second project, 10 projects, fine. But then after that, it's like we kind of know what to expect at that point. You've seen enough. Absolutely. Now, what would you suggest to someone who's, uh, you know, listening to this and all that and is, has been interested in uh, getting in your industry? And I mean the construction side of things. And they're interested in getting in your industry. They're interested in even having their own business. 
what would your advice be? Where should they start and what should they be looking out for? Uh, if they wanted to get into the trades? Correct. I would say always start smaller. Start with things that don't have a massive impact on the home. So start a little bit small, maybe cosmetic. And the first time you try something new, always work alongside someone or hire someone who does this day in, day out and learn from them. Pay that premium one time. Think of it as a tuition. Don't think about oh, I know someone that can install flooring and I'm going to save $1,000 more. Get the best guy, not necessarily the, mo- the most expensive guy. Get the best guy, the guy that's been doing flooring for 20 years. I'll hire them to do it and kind of pick their brain and you know, sort of like hover over them, see what they do. And then you can do that. If you do that for every single trade, you do that for floors, for trim, for doors, and then the doors guys are giving you measurements and you see how they put in all the doors and, and how they cut the jams and all that stuff, where they buy them from. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, you can take on a full room on your own and pretty good standard too. And then you branch out from there. So don't start by the same way a lot of people do. I'm going to gut my house. Oh, electrical, plumbing, HVAC. And then you're like, try and become this master of all trades in one shot the first time without hiring anyone. That's a recipe for disaster. You got to be realistic with what you can accomplish. And I know a lot of people say, Oh, be realistic is bad advice. Yeah, but you got to take it within context. You're still taking the leap of faith and and you're taking a risk, but take something that's bite-sized, that's manageable. When we take a project, if we have, this is today, and it's super large, if we have any more than 20% of the project that are trades that we have not completed before, specialty trades, we won't take the job, we won't price it. So we have about 20% tolerance for that kind of stuff because you're okay to learn and you'll be able to absorb the mistakes by learning but if 50 percent of the job is brand new 70 percent of the job god forbid 100 percent of the job is brand new you're screwed yeah that makes sense sound advice there love that absolutely love that all right awesome man so yeah this has been intriguing man. i got a lot of information here like even uh you know, when we got in, when I got into uh, the business of you know real estate and all that, part of our schooling was to learn some of the construction. Mm. I mean, nowhere near as well as you learn it, but uh, we had to learn little bits. And you know, I should be able to tell what mold looks like. Yeah. Without you know, what I mean, like, and when I, I'm not gonna lie, when I first learned it, I'm saying I'm selling houses. What do I need to know this stuff for? As I learned out why later, as you know, time goes by and you go in there and you're like, what's that? And I'm like, well, if I didn't learn that, I'd be going, uh, well, that's why I learned it. And now it's very different when you learn it from books and then you see it in front of you. Absolutely. Right. So it's, and you're right. I mean, there's certain scopes. I mean, I'm by no stretch, any kind of construction expert. I mean, if you give me a hammer, the only thing I'm going to hammer is my feet. And uh, (laughs) because I'll probably drop it and lands there. (laughs) So, I mean, you're right. It's always, you know, rely on the experts and the education, even just being that fly on the wall, like and having someone, a professional do it and show you is way more valuable than trying to do it 10 times on your own. I agree. So love that. Absolutely love that. So we're going to get into... uh, the, we're going to get into the last few questions before uh, we get into what I call the lightning round. Okay. And one of the questions I'm going to have is, how do you know you've had a successful day? Um, I usually set up on the weekend. I set up targets for the entire week, and then I have mini tasks for each day. I try to have no more than three because otherwise then the tasks are like almost ad- administrative in a way. If I hit all of those by the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I'm in a good place. Because all of them contribute towards that one week goal. So if you're working towards a, a refinance in a month from today, you got to ask yourself, okay, well, one week before that, I got to get the appraiser out there. That day, the property needs to be done, cleaned, photographed. So you just keep working backwards. Well, what does that mean today? Oh, it means I got to get the building permit closed off. And then that means this week we got to get all this stuff done. So I just sort of break it down to each day. Love that answer. Awesome. Now, anyone looking out for you and they're trying to find you, where would they go? Uh, you can go to our website, newfor.com, or you could just go to our Instagram. That's the fastest way, newforinc, and you'll be able to find us there. Just message us and uh, we can get in touch. Fantastic. Any last words of advice for any aspiring entrepreneurs or investors? Yeah, maybe, uh, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, try not to have that uh, shiny object syndrome. Uh, when you go on Instagram and you see, oh, everybody's doing this and that, you, you know, try and break things down into fundamentals. And if it makes sense, do it. 
regardless of what other people are doing. Other people, what they do should just be a thought in your head. But then after that, you need to be able to put solid fundamentals together to make sure that, that makes sense. Fantastic. All right. Let's get into the lightning round. Just a few fun questions that are about you. We're going to start off with the first one, which is what is your favorite food and why? Sushi. I, I think that's self-explanatory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why? Tastes great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Question number two, favorite travel destination and why? Oh, Miami. Interesting. Because there's nothing on the planet that's like it. Interesting. Interesting. I, I would have expected you to say Florida or something like that, right? Or But you went right, right to Miami. In, right in Miami, right there. Brickle, South Beach, like they're, they're amazing. And it's not just the, the nightlife, but it's also the food and the environment. It's amazing. That's fantastic. I'm actually going to be in Florida in, I believe, 13 days. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm going oh, to that's... Edmonton first, then I'm going to Florida, and then I'm coming back and going to Ottawa, and then I'm back, and then I'm back to work. <laughs> nice. We're in Florida. I'm going to land in Fort Lauderdale. I'm uh, staying in Naples. Nice. Um, but I've uh, got I got meetings and whatever all all the way from Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Fort Myers. So I'm gonna be kind of traveling around through my, throughout my stay there. Make sure you ask me where to go in Miami. Okay, I will do that <laughs> definitely. So awesome, awesome. Now I know who, now, now I got a contact of who to call. See again, who, not how. <laughs> awesome. Favorite podcast or book? Uh, I think uh, my favorite book is Never Split the Difference. Chris Voss, love that. Yes. That's, I love that. That was, I learned so much from that book. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is amazing because you can take the teachings and you can apply it to almost any scenario, big or small. It doesn't have to be massive, massive negotiations. Could be something with you and your spouse at home. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In a way, it's just a, a, new, a new concept of, uh, not a new concept, but a concept of how to think. Yeah, and you're really seeing the other person's perspective too. Exactly. Which is hard. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you got emotions flying. Yes. Awesome. Last but not least, if you were given unlimited amount of money, but only 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep. What you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? What I spend, I keep? Yep. Uh, just buy real estate. Simple. There we go. Guys. I'd buy a lot just of real estate. Just buy real estate. <laughs> there we go. It doesn't because get any the rent I get that. to keep forever. No, hundred percent. That's amazing. Hundred percent. You got it. That's Where do just, I sign up? Where do I go. go to for this deal? Let me know when you find the person <laughs> who gives you that. I'll join. I'll join too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Safe. It's been phenomenal. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show.